Welcome to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh-Seeder. This is not therapy, this is real life. Today we are going to talk about the powerful benefits of mood tracking and how you will use that information to take mindful action in your life. But before we do that, why don't we just jump in to practice a little tiny example of mood tracking right now. Something drew you to this podcast episode right now, as you know, the show tries to translate therapy concepts and adapt them into self-care strategies for long-term burnout prevention. And one of the skills we do practice here is greater emotional awareness and to develop the language to describe how we feel as a self-care skill. And as we know, folks are most used to asking the question, how are you doing? And hearing one of two answers. The answer is typically good or bad. And that doesn't actually give us a whole lot of information. So something that we will talk about today as we learn more about mood tracking is all that you can learn from tracking the seasonality of your moods and start to pay attention to what that means for you. So why not start by doing that now? What I'd like you to do is even pause the podcast if you need to give yourself a little bit more time to do this that's where the learning is when you pause to actually think about some of these concepts. I want you to just give yourself about 10 or 20 seconds or even longer than that to ask yourself that question, how am I feeling right now? And to even give yourself a little bit longer to think about what are the best two or three words to capture how I'm feeling right now and notice the gentle difference between how it is to feel this way or that way. There is a subtle difference between sadness and melancholy or even nostalgia. They might be on the same wavelength, but there's actually learning in taking the time to notice that difference. So go ahead and do your very first Uh, practice, at least in this episode, of doing your own mood tracking. Check your mood now. Maybe even take, take a note of how you're feeling now, and at the end of this episode, paying attention mindfully moment to moment, you might even see some changes in your mood. Let's keep paying attention to that. Great, now you have a teeny tiny snapshot of just one of your moods. And we know that a single mood can include complex feelings. And in today's episode, we're gonna talk about some practical ways that you might use mood tracking to help refine your self-care routine and rituals, and even your relationship care skills. 
But first, let's define it a little bit more. What is mood tracking? How do you do it? Why would you do it? When would you do that? So I'm gonna walk you through some basic concepts here. And then the invitation is, I want you to personalize this for yourself and think about how you would apply mood tracking. Mood tracking is basically a mindfulness skill. And if you're listening to the podcast, you know that we really like to talk about that definition of mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn of paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment. And what that allows us to do, that non-judgmental observing approach, allows us to learn a lot of really important information. So mood tracking is a really simple tool that is used often by therapists and medical doctors um, and for folks who are continuing their self-care practices outside of those spaces. This is a tool that can be really empowering as you develop self-awareness. That's what we're doing here with mood tracking. I hear people talk about that sometimes and actually ask the question, how do you develop self-awareness? Well, I think mood tracking is a really good way to start doing that. And there are a lot of different ways to do mood tracking. Perhaps the simplest way is just what we did to start the show today is to check in with yourself from time to time and ask yourself and even better say out loud to someone who cares about you just what that mood is. Mood tracking is an assertiveness skill. I want you to keep that in mind. When you check your mood and when you share that with another person, you're letting them know a little bit about your boundaries. If you say, I'm tired, that gives that person a little bit of information and so they know what to ask for from you in that moment. And in fact, the more information you give them, the more assertive you can be because you're grounding that communication, that information flow in a really good, healthy I statement. So with assertive communication, we're gonna ground our awareness in our own experience. So you might do that by asking yourself that simple question of how do I feel right now? And you know, mention two or three words. And that is something that you could either do at the same time every day as a little ritual and of course you're going to get more benefits from this if you track it there is something immediately soothing or grounding uh, a lot of people notice this just to kind of in in saying their mood or acknowledging it but then you can you can grow the rewards from that from tracking it and this is where you will start to notice patterns oh, no wonder every time I go to that work retreat once a year, I have more social anxiety or nervousness about saying the right or wrong thing. Gosh, that happens every time a year, this time of year. For example, you're going to start to notice little patterns and contributors to either a good or bad mood based on your experience. And if you get really rigorous in mood tracking, you might include other data like 
who is around you in that moment? What did you eat? How many hours of sleep did you have? And for folks who work um, doing their personal work in therapy, a lot of times what we do is we ask them a lot of before and after questions. So you felt a certain kind of way and then you used X, Y, or Z skill. How did you feel afterwards? How well did that work for you? So mood tracking can be really casual and informal and it can be a simple check-in that you ask yourself or it can be something really, really rigorous that you do in an Excel spreadsheet or just go ahead and Google uh, mood tracking worksheets or there are a ton of great mood tracking apps you can download for free. Um, but the old school way to do it is just pen and paper in your journal. And the more you do it, the more information that you get from it. A lot of people use mood tracking to just regulate their mood. They notice paying attention to it helps naturally, uh, you know, leads to learning. And they realize, okay, when I don't get sleep, I really do feel worse. And that just helps with building uh, motivation. So there are a lot of different ways of doing mood tra tracking, but the basic principle is to just take frequent snapshots of your mood and look for other variables um, and the patterns that show up. And that is really, really good information that you can use, especially if you make it a ritual. Now that we know that mood tracking can give us lots of information, lots of learning, and help us decide what to do about it, now let's look at some tools that will help you carry that information forward in order to take mindful action. Sometimes people ask me as they're first learning about mindfulness and the power of paying attention non-judgmentally, They'll ask me, does that mean I'm not really allowed to have feelings about things or feel upset when I see that things are not fair? Well, mindfulness uh, it does include mindful action. And if you see something that's not right, you are going to be called to act. You're going to be called to do something about it. You, you know, you might almost feel like it would bother me if I didn't do something about it. So now I'm going to walk you through one of the skills that comes from dialectical behavior therapy, one of those research-backed therapy methods that we talk about a lot on this show, and in fact, one of the very first episodes of the Therapy for Real Life podcast was a whole episode on this skill, and it's called Wise Mind. And I love DBT's Wise Mind because it pairs perfectly well with this idea of mood tracking. And I'd like to talk you through it a little bit so that you can think through how you might adapt some of these concepts for your own self-care and burnout prevention as you continue to look at your mood and develop that understanding and then decide what to do about it because I don't want you to get stuck. So let me walk you through it. Basically, 
dialectical behavior therapy's idea of wise mind comes from these mindfulness concepts that says that when it comes to a problem or making up our minds about an important decision or for example knowing what to do with all that mood tracking information that you're getting out of it mindfulness reminds us that there are really three states of mind three ways of looking at a problem and this is where you might pause the podcast and make sure that you have a notepad ready so that you can take notes on this and then after the podcast you might even fill in some personal examples here to think about some ideas a little bit more so go ahead and do that if you need to pause the podcast and go ahead and get yourself a little pen and paper because when you do what you're going to do is you are simply going to draw a little venn diagram in front of you remember those from high school class or whenever you learned about venn diagrams you're going to draw two circles that overlap just a little bit in the middle and that's going to help me explain this idea of wise mind to you so one of those circles in this little venn diagram dbt dialectical behavior therapy calls this reasonable mind and the way that dbt explains this it says that when you look at a problem one of the ways we can look at it through the state of mind is actually through reasonable mind so reasonable mind is that part of your brain that's going to help you kind of geek out on the logic of things it tends to be very cool and calm and collected this is the part of your brain that thinks in pros and cons and excel spreadsheets and it can do complicated math for your taxes if you need to or pay attention to follow grandma's recipe and make sure that you get all the proportions right reasonable mind is just one way of looking at things so when we think about that mood tracking and that data collection this is where you're going to start to look at other variables so sometimes people tell me how they're feeling about a certain thing and the intensity that goes along with it and i might just ask them simple questions like oh my goodness that's a it's a really intense way to feel what percentage of that feeling is compounded by the current global health pandemic or triggering news any given week or a recent disappointment that you've had reasonable mind would just take those factors into consideration wouldn't it reasonable would say well that's reasonable to consider that or that makes sense so we're just gonna include that in our way of thinking and notice that's one frame of mind now none of these states of mind are better or worse than the other even if you do notice a little bit of cultural dominance sometimes you do hear people say be reasonable as if that's the only kind of way to be what mindfulness explains is it's just one kind of way okay so facts statistics all of that uh, sending each other new york times articles reasonable mind all right now in that other circle on the other side of our venn diagram there's only two circles here mindfulness explains that another way of looking at things is called emotion mind okay that is exactly what it sounds like you're having an emotion perhaps even a strong emotion 
or as we started the podcast today, maybe two or three. And so as you're taking notes, what you might do right now is just jot down the feelings that you mentioned before in that little emotion mind circle. You might just notice that those are happening for you or even since beginning this podcast, jot down any new emotions that have risen up, curiosity, frustration, uh, you know, anxiety, any of those things can come up. And remember that definition of mindfulness, paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment. We're not going to judge those feelings. We're going to treat that as part of mood tracking and as good information. So one thing that we're going to acknowledge with emotion mind is that it's part of the body's safety reflex. Talk about the five senses, sight, smell, taste, feel, all of that. Emotions are part of your body's survival response. It's a way to pick up information about what needs are met and satiated and what needs are not met and need attention. So the one thing that we're, you know, it's immediately clear as we think this through and learn about it, this is that that emotional intelligence skill set that comes from self-awareness, where even though the culture asks us to do this, we're not going to discount any of those feelings. We're not going to dismiss them. So even if we get this pressure from the culture that says, relax, don't don't be so dramatic, chill out, you're making such a big deal. We're just going to notice when those feelings persist, oftentimes they're, they're speaking out for an unmet need, so it's worth paying attention to. Now, it's important to realize with reasonable mind and with emotion mind, either one, you can get stuck, all right? If you're stuck in reasonable mind, you might overanalyze something to death. You might be quote unquote totally right and yet missing the point. Or you might, you know, have your facts straight and yet you hurt someone's feelings. So we're going to balance each of these state of minds. In fact, they do speak to each other. And if we were stuck in emotion mind, this is where we might punch a wall out of frustration or have road rage or say something that we regret out of a hot and spicy tone. So this is where we think through that third state of mind. Remember how I said those two circles overlap? That's where you find what DBT or mindfulness calls wise mind. Wise mind, or however you wanna call it, I invite you to personalize this, make it your own, rebrand it, call it something else that's meaningful to you. But DBT calls it wise mind, And this is that centered voice, that centered way of looking at things that understands the reasonable way of looking at things and does not discount the emotion. And this is that voice that comes from one of of real deep confidence about what needs to happen. And some people are very in tune with that, that, that understanding, and they even have a way of describing it for themselves. Sometimes people ask me, well, is that the same as your sixth sense or, um, you know, your spidey sense or mother's intuition or all the different ways that people can describe it? Oftentimes, it's just a sense of knowing or 
can even be a physical experience of feeling settled in the body or I just knew or it was a breath of fresh air or a sigh of relief. This is just that that internal wisdom that comes from the lived experience that you have and the confidence to know that it's it's true. And you know it's true because it feels like uh, you've in, included that personal experience and the facts on the ground, the reasonable parts, the emotion parts, and there's a, a sense of knowing and synthesis. So let me give you an example of this. When you are doing mood tracking, you might not at first know how to make sense of your results. And in fact, this is why people often go to therapy so they, they can get that feedback and, and coaching. And one of the skills we practice in therapy is that wise mind skill. And the way that I learned it was to simply practice pairing this skill with the breath and to tap into that wisdom and knowledge that you already have given the information that you have. So if you are looking at a week's worth of mood tracking data and you are trying to make sense of it, you might do this technique of pairing it with the breath. You might ask yourself, given what I know now, what would really healthy self-care look like? And you would just pause long enough to ask yourself the question. You would even inhale it in. What should I do for my self-care today? Breathing it in. And this wise mind skill is on the exhale, just simply exhaling long enough to give yourself the space to think about it. And in my experience working with people practicing this form of mini meditation, this is the kind of meditation that you're doing just by consulting yourself, of asking yourself what you need in this moment. Sometimes people tell me they have a kind of aha moment where it's like they, you know, just know what they need to do, kind of like a lightning bolt. Um, and they just had to pause to think about it. Other times it can feel more like a nagging sensation or an ongoing meditation, a process to get there. But it is the, the paying attention that does help you make sense of what you already know. And part of wise mind is built into relationships. So as you talk things through about your situation or your mood or whatever kind of question you're dealing with, you might even talk it through with another person and they might give you your two cents. And then you're going to have a reaction to that. So sometimes wise mind asks the question, listens to the answer, and just notices how that feels for them. You don't have to race to a solution all the time. But what mindfulness teaches us is that when you do pay attention, you can't help but learn something from that experience. So that is my invitation for you is after this podcast is over is to think about what that would look like for you to develop a little bit more emotional self-awareness into your routine and think about do you have a time in your day where mood tracking would fit nicely and if you like that idea of wise mind breath what you might do after mood tracking is just pause long enough 
to absorb that information. Don't jump to any conclusions or judgment about, oh, I continue to have this problem and therefore it makes me a bad person. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to beat up your, on yourself in that way. But do the work of continuing to pay attention and you can't help but learn something in that space. So that is the ongoing invitation to you. Thank you for joining me. I'm always happy to know that I'm not alone in these conversations and I love hearing your feedback. So please do continue to reach out by rating and reviewing the podcast so that other people can access affordable self-care resources or share the show with a self-care buddy of yours to increase accountability. And of course, if you are looking for self-care resources and information about therapy options, you can check out the therapyforreallife.com website and click on the self-care tab. You will find past podcast episodes, worksheets, handouts, self-care listicles, all those goodies to help you with your ongoing practice. Feel free to get in touch or send me a message there. And in the meantime, remember this is not therapy. This is real life. So go out and enjoy your life and show up for it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Therapy for Real Life is a Bay Area burnout prevention and relationship counseling center offering in-person therapy in Oakland, San Francisco, and telehealth throughout California. Therapy for Real Life also offers workplace workshops to help your team buffer against the stresses of daily life. Therapy for Real Life is known for the Burnout Prevention Hackathon, which teaches your team self-care strategies that are backed by research to help you interrupt burnout and promote self-care. Now that work has moved primarily to virtual and work from home, Therapy for Real Life has adapted the Burnout Prevention Hackathon for the online community. Get in touch to discuss your interest in stress management, burnout prevention, relationship building, and other self-care workshops, and how to adapt these trainings for your team's needs. Email therapy at annacedar.com or visit therapyforreallife.com and click on the workshop page to learn more. Get in touch to discuss your team's burnout prevention training needs. Thank you.